0: I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to the book of Romans. We're going to be in several spots, but Romans is going to be a lot of the verses that we look at together this weekend. And we're going to start in Romans 13, so if you want to go ahead and kind of have a starting point, you can start there. The focus for the message this weekend is preparing for the election. I have to be honest with you. I did not want to preach this message. I fought with the Lord for several days. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? I don't want to. And they don't want me to. And I think there's several reasons for that. Basically, we're all sick of it by now, amen? I mean, good night. It's like all the campaigning, all the speeches, the candidates, the tone of conversation. If I walk in my house in the evening and there's something about the, the election on TV, I either get upset or my stomach does, right? And I just turn it. I mean, I, mean, I try to stay informed, I try to stay in touch, but I, I just can't literally... Stomach it anymore, so I turn it to something else. And I think to myself, I don't want them to feel that way when they come to church because you can't turn Pastor Robbie. Amen. <laughs> you, you might can t- tune him out, but you can't turn me. So, Lord, I don't want to do that to them. Another reason is I don't want to give any impression that we have political motivations. Amen. It's been confusing. This election, especially to hear many Christian leaders endorse certain people. And, and in some ways, I don't want to overspeak that. In some ways, that's a little bit helpful. I'm glad for people that I see as godly people to give me a sense of what they're seeing, right? So I don't want to stack the deck against that as if that's a terrible thing. But, but, but it's been a little bit weird sometimes, a little bit confusing, a little bit hard to understand, and maybe in another way, not confusing. Maybe disappointing. Do some people that we really respect have other motives? Isn't that disappointing? Even to kind of track with a candidate that they've given some kind of credence to, which I think is okay, but maybe a little longer? Then you feel like I don't know. I mean I can't judge that, but but I felt that a little bit, amen? when you come to church we don't want you to feel that way here we don't don't want you worrying about we've got some agenda that's being pushed or worrying that there's some personal gain in it for someone if we speak a certain way the last reason is we don't want to lose our focus we want to keep a laser sharp focus there is one primary reason that we have been left in this world if you are a child of God If you are not a Christian, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, that is your purpose. Before you leave this earth, today, this could be your last day, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to be forgiven like all of us that have received Christ. Not because we're special, but because we came to a point of realizing, I need the Lord. I need to be forgiven if you've never given your life to Christ. That is your purpose. But for many of us who have given our life to Christ, our purpose is to share that wonderful message. And, and, and there's some other things that we do. There's, a, there's several other things that kind of contribute to that. But really it all is pointed towards that. We are here to be messengers for the Lord. God wants to be your Savior and forgive you. And be your Lord and Master. And be in your life and give you eternal life. That is so important. In fact, we're going to be talking about that next week. And even for our open house. So critical that we never lose that focus. But having said all of that, I've sensed this week that the Lord wanted me to provide some leadership with all the noise that we're hearing. And then, and then we're going to hear over the next about three weeks or so, where is God's voice? Amen? Who is speaking for the Lord? What, what would God say to His people? And so that's where I come away compelled with I'm sorry, I don't have a choice. I'm responsible before God to give leadership, to shepherd His people about those things. So that's what we're going to, reluctantly, that's what we're going to talk about together today. And I think we need to start with this. We need to understand a little bit about the role of government and politics in our lives, And even, believe it or not, in God's plan for this world. I understand that when it comes to church and when it comes to worship, we pretty much have a mindset, I don't want to hear about politics, right? And I think that maybe the main reason for that is because we see politics as corrupt, right? For the most part, and no offense to to maybe government workers who are here, because that doesn't mean that everybody involved in those areas are corrupt. But but for the most part, we see that as corrupt and we don't think that God, who is perfect and true and right and good, should be mixed with that corruption, right? So that's kind of, I think, maybe why we struggle with that. But on the other hand, if we've set it up that way, now listen, if we've basically said that this topic is off limits in this setting it is possible that we have fallen into a trap of the enemy. Because we have said that there is a certain segment of our life that we're just not going to talk about, that we're just not going to deal with, that we're not going to ask God together what He says about that part of our life, and that leaves us vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. But did you know that the Bible teaches that government is actually necessary? Write that down. Government is necessary. There are actually, as we read God's word, it appears that there are three God ordained institutions that God put in this world. God created the family, God created the church, and God created, believe it or not, God ordained something called government. And I want to read that to you in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let's start in verses 1 and 2. It says, every person is to be in subjection, in submission. That word means that we're to line up behind the leadership of another. Every person is to be in submission to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance, the ordaining of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. The Bible says that God ordained, God decided, God set up something called government so that we would have order in our world. In general, God is an orderly God. God is not a God of, a God of chaos but God, or of confusion, but God is a God of order. So there's lots of different things that God has put in place in our lives so that that order would be there, but government helps to provide that. Look at verses 3 through 6. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Listen to this. If you are a government official, if you are a law enforcement officer, if you serve... As a public servant, the Bible says that you are in the ministry. You are a minister of God. Isn't that incredible? For it is a minister of God, that could be translated, it is a servant of God to you for good. Now, admittedly, I mean that's different than like pastoral ministry. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying that this is a whole different mindset, isn't it? Government is not totally wrong in and of itself as a concept. It is not inherently evil. Government is necessary. It is good for us. It is a servant of God for our good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. If you're doing wrong, then you should be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a, here it is again, a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection or submission, not only because of wrath, not only because you'll get in trouble, but for conscience sake. Because I want to have a clear conscience before God, that I'm living the way God wants me to live. No, we're really not going to like this part, especially since we live in New York. Because the New York version would be For because of this, you pay a lot of taxes. (laughs) But it's not the New York version I'm reading from, so let me be faithful to the Bible. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants, here again of God, devoting themselves to this very thing, rendered to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So we have laws. We have coordination of resources, For the common good. Apparently government is supposed to encourage good behavior. And it's supposed to discourage or curb bad behavior. Wrong is supposed to be punished. And government officials are to be servants of God. I wonder, I've never checked this out. But I wonder if this is why some countries call some of their officials like prime minister or the minister of defense. We call our officials, what do we call them? And we need to be reminded of this. We call them what? Public Servants. servants. It's funny how the Bible sort of says things that we say today. No, it's funny how what we say today is based on concepts that came out of the Bible. So government is necessary But unfortunately, and no loud, roaring, rip the roof off amens, government is broken. It's necessary, but it is broken. And we do all say amen, but it means more than our government is broken. I didn't say that. We could say our government is broken in many ways, but that's not really what we're saying. We're saying not that our government is broken, but really all governments are broken. God created government as a good thing for our lives and for our lives together. So it's not, as I said, in itself inherently evil, but it is broken like the rest of the world. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23. This is describing the effects of the curse, of the fall, of sin, the consequences of sin. the pains of childbirth together until now. What does that describe me? This world is fallen. This world is hurting, isn't it? This world is broken. This world is messed up. It's not right. And it's longing for a Savior. It's longing for a Redeemer. It's longing for someone, the One. His name is Jesus. He's coming back one day and he's going to fix it. And all of creation, including us, his highest creation, we're eagerly. Please, Lord, come. Amen. Amen. Please, God, think think of the problems in your life. Relationship problems, financial problems, physical problems, work problems. There's so many problems. Amen. When I'm at someone's bedside and they're about to pass into eternity... One of the things that that we try to do as pastors is we just sort of walk them through. If you know Jesus Christ, you are about to experience eternal life like you never have before. And we just begin to sort of escort them through that process. Did you know that God Himself has promised I will never leave you nor forsake you? He Himself, He's not just going to send an angel or a messenger He himself has promised to walk side by side with you all the way through this valley of the shadow of death. And he's promised that you're going to experience a release, a freedom that you have only dreamed of. You have never experienced before. Think of that breathtaking view that you just go, wow, it's too much to take in, right? It's just like breathtaking. Can you imagine going from all the problems of this world to that release. Can you imagine just kind of going up from this body into His presence and just feeling that release from all of that? Can you imagine? It just makes you want to skip and jump for joy, doesn't it? Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this world is broken and government is part of this world. It's tainted, isn't it? It's tainted by power. It's tainted by money. It's tainted by prestige. Sometimes it seems like government is the place where the worst of us can come out. And it's never going to be right until... Friends, listen. It's never going to be right until the Prince of Peace comes and reigns. And He is our government. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're coming up on Christmas soon. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We need order knowing. We need rule. We need some guidelines. We need some parameters. We need some safety and security. And what we're longing for really is His government. And the good news is it is coming. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, the Lord of the angel armies will accomplish that. You can take it to the bank. Jesus is going to rule and reign. And by the way, He will never stop. Forever and ever and ever. But right now, it is broken. So the Bible says that we should respect government, but not trust in government. Okay, that's where many of us go wrong. One of those or the other. We should respect it, but we should not put our trust in it. So many of us are on one side, we don't respect it. And that's not right, is it? According to what we just read, we're supposed to respect government. We either don't respect it or we put our trust in it. And the Bible says we should not put our trust in it. Now realizing that, realizing that there is a place for government and politics... Because we live in the United States, we are fortunate to have some say, at least theoretically, and even realistically, I mean, even though we're a little bit cynical about it, we still do have some say in our government and that process. And that's why in a few weeks, we're going to have a presidential election. So let's talk about that. There's a place for politics Let's think about how to approach an election, the election that is coming up. When we think about the government being needed but broken, it makes it kind of difficult to know how to approach it, doesn't it? Should we ignore it or should we get in there and fight? Right? I mean, isn't that the way that people usually go? We're so extreme. Should we just ignore it all? I just don't want to have anything. And that's where probably about now all of us are, right? I mean, there's a few people that like to get in there and fight. There's people right now in this room that are fighting mad. You're tapping your foot. You know, you're you're just like, you know, you're just on it. So we either go one direction or the other. We want to ignore it or we want to fight it. But I want to read some verses that I think are helpful to give us some perspective. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now these verses talk about that as children of God, we are to be... Salt and light. And there's several different aspects of that that I think we could think about. But I think that Jesus' words here help us to think about a balance as we think particularly about the election and how we're to approach such matters. Think about it for just a minute. Salt delays decay. That's one of the things that salt can do, right? Salt can slow down the process. It can't stop it. It doesn't stop it but it can slow down the process of something that is decaying. Light reveals truth. Light reveals reality in the midst of darkness. Really what Jesus is saying here is light, when we're His light, we reveal to others the truth about there is a God and He wants to be their Savior. And I think those two principles help us to get a balance for how to approach politics and our society in the election. So let's think about it. Our world is passing away. Right? Our world is decaying. We know as we read the Bible that this world is messed up. It's 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 sin sick. It is groaning for that recreation when God's gonna create a new heavens and a new earth, set everything straight, but it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm not trying to be fatalistic, but the Bible says as we get closer to Christ coming back one day, things are going to get worse. And we need to realize that. And it seems like that decay does get worse and worse every day. But as we live in this world, Christian friend, we are to be salt. We are to slow down. We can't stop the decay. But we are to slow down the decaying process. And the primary reason we're slowing it down, listen, the primary reason we're to be salt to slow down the process is so that we'll have enough time and opportunity to shine the light. We're to be the light of the world. Now let me give you an example, a hypothetical example. What if there's a bill before Congress, again, I'm not, this is hypothetical. What if there was a bill before Congress that you could no longer share Christ? period, at work. Okay, I don't need permission from anybody to share Christ or not. Amen? I have to be obedient to the Lord's command that i got to find a way somehow as I'm living in this world to get His message out. Amen? So it's not that we're dependent on a law, but the fact of the matter is it can be more simple, it can be more convenient, the opportunity, the window can be more open The opportunity is more prevalent if it weren't against the law, correct? So we have the opportunity in our society, while there's a bill that's being proposed, we can call our congressman. We can can try to do something about that process. We can be salt to try to slow down the things that would block the light going out so that we can delay that long enough so that more and more people can see the light and come to know the Lord. So that's our purpose, to be salt long enough to slow down the decay so that we have the opportunity to shine the light and share the good news. And here's where I think many Christians kind of get off track on this. For some reason, a lot of Christians like the salt part. I want you to think about that. Many Christians only want to be salt. We are trying real hard to stop the decay. My friends, listen. That is not our only purpose. It is not our primary purpose. Do you know that? Our primary purpose is not to make this world stop decaying. Our primary purpose is to share the good news about Jesus Christ. That is our focus. To share God loves you. He's got a plan for you. If you will turn to Him and give your life to Him, He will forgive you. He will give you eternal life. He will live in your life. He will change your life. He will take you to heaven one day. That is the reason we are here. But when we begin to focus on delaying the decay, listen. If our focus is on salt, delaying the decay, then we need a certain candidate to win. Do you hear me? We need a certain party to win. To win in our minds because that person believes this person can do that. They can do what needs to be done to stop the decay. We need to be careful about that because we're putting our trust in government and not in the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, some people have been called to help us as the body of Christ to be salt, and that is their focus. Some people are called to run for office. Some people are called to help out with a campaign, to get more involved personally. Some ministries are called to help us as the greater body of Christ to delay that decay. Focus on the family does that a lot, don't they? Uh, Jay Sekulow, many of you guys listen to Jay Sekulow. He stands in front of the Supreme Court and argues cases so that we can keep some of the rights that we have and freedoms we have so that I can even stand up here today and talk legally. Thank the Lord for those people. Amen? Amen. So it's not that that's necessarily wrong. There are some people who are called especially to that focus of ministry. But that is not the focus for all believers. It's not even the focus for most believers. So with that perspective, that we need to be involved, but we don't need to completely trust how can we be involved in the election? Write these things down. First of all, participate in the process lovingly. Participate in the process lovingly. We have the privilege of being able to participate. Easy for me to say. Participate. We have, we've been given that freedom. We can vote. Many, many people across the world Wish they had a voice. We still have that voice. We can run for office. We can call our congressmen. So be involved. Friends, listen. Men and women died. Greater love, the Bible says, says no one than this that someone would lay down their life for their friends. We honor their memory when we exercise the freedoms that they die to help us keep. Amen. Well, listen. When we do those things, don't be a jerk. Do it lovingly, right? If you call your congressman, be sweet about it. Here's the way I think about it. I want that intern at that senator's office if I'm calling to be wondering. Well, I thought Christians were kind of mean that guy seemed pretty nice. I didn't agree with what he was saying. I'm not sure if I'm going to pass it on. But he seemed pretty nice, right? So let's be involved, but best let's be sweet about it. Secondly, pray. Pray about the election. Okay, here's going to be one of those ouch moments. All right, you ready? I wonder if the Lord showed us a comparison of the percentage of how much we've complained about the election, you know where I'm going, don't you? (laughs) Should I not finish it because you know? (laughs) Seriously though, right? Seriously. As the Lord brought that point to my mind, I really had to stop and say, honestly Robbie, you sat there in front of the TV and said a lot. I don't even think your prayers have been... I'm being nice. I wanted to say I don't think they've been even. I know they're not even. Amen? Christians, God answers prayer. Do you believe that? So let's pray at least as much as we express our concern. We're going to have a night of prayer before this election. be looking for that in the next few weeks. Number three, learn the party platforms and what the candidates stand for. Use principles for godly decision-making. What do they say? Does that line up with God's Word? And God help me to make the right choice. By the way, next weekend we're going to provide a voter guide for you. There There's several reasons. You can go online and, and just find comparison of party platforms or uh, um, different stances that the candidates have. You should look at those things. Here's some things to look for. We just said we need the opportunity to be able to continue to share the good news, right? So one question we should ask is, which candidate is going to provide the best possible environment, as best as we can tell, to hold back the decay so that we can continue to shine the light and share the good news about Jesus? Maybe a negative way to say it is, which one's going to erect the most barriers to sharing the gospel? And which one's going to give the best opportunity to continue to do that? Secondly, what do they say about life? Especially the most vulnerable among us, our babies. Friends, we've heard that so long that we now consider it, quote, one of the issues. Honestly, you know, I I try to keep this in the forefront of my mind in some ways and some people in my life help me to do that because they're hard for this ministry. Sometimes I just wake up and say, maybe I should stop being a pastor and I should go to work for the children. Honestly. Maybe this is not an issue. Maybe this is the, the issue for our people with God. I don't know. But I can tell you what. Over 3,000 babies a day, on average, lose their life in the United States to abortion. Okay? So that means 9-11 happens. The same travesty of loss of life that happened on 9-11 happens every single, has happened every single day since 9-11-2001. And actually, from what we can tell from records, happened about 30 years prior to 9-11, 2001. Where are the people of God? Not in meanness, right? Not in self-righteousness, but in love and concern and care for the least among us. The babies, that can't defend themselves. As well as those who have been involved with Abortion. We should minister to as well. What do they say about marriage? About family and the home? We said there are three God-ordained institutions. There's the family. There's the church. There's the government. Probably, I think I can easily say the most important appears to be the home. How our leaders support the home or not matters in the direction of our country. And it's not just a general idea of how we see family as a culture, there is more and more threat for some to shut the work down that we do as a church if we do not agree to certain things about the family that are not in accordance with God's Word. So let me just ask you this. Do you need this church? Do you need this church family in your life? The reality is, If our ideas as a society about the home continue to go the direction they're going, it could impact whether we can organize the way we're organizing here right now and do what we're doing. Wow. We need to vote. Amen? We need to vote smart. What do they say about financial responsibility? Honestly, most of the time, there's not a candidate that sounds great about this. Amen? Amen? so in a sense, we have to pick the, the least worst one. Which one is going to spend the least unreal amount of money and which one is going to at least spend all the money that's collected better, right? Let me show you how important this is. When our current president took office, our national debt was $10 trillion. Can I just say, that's a lot. That's a lot, a lot, a lot. Trillions are almost unimaginable. I mean, those are, that's big zeros, big numbers. When our president leaves office, it will be double that, around 20 trillion. That means that the person we chose eight years ago has racked up the same amount of debt, led us in the same amount of debt that we did in all of our history before that and all the presidents before that. So that decision was pretty important, wasn't it? And by the way, here's what's really amazing is that after his first four years, he, he had followed that average. He had done five trillion. So he had already showed us how he was going to lead our country financially, and we said, we're okay with that. Wow, amen. God help us. What, what are we doing? What are we thinking? We heard one candidate in this current process promise free college. Can I just tell you some? Can I just tell you something? Our family is currently facing college, and facing is a good word. It is scary. By God's grace, so far it's working. But it's big. I can't imagine anybody promising that they would take care of mine. And yours, and yours, and yours, and everybody in our country. It is not. The question should be how, not who, is going to pay for it. Our kids and our grandkids, it's, it's, it's going to change their lives, their livelihood. Our founding fathers saw that kind of spending as immoral. So friends, wise decision making says don't just take a candidate's good promises. You need to check and to see do they have good plans to fulfill those good promises. That leads us to the next thing. Be discerning about the character of the candidates. If we read through God's Word, there are all sorts of examples about how bad leaders have a major impact on a nation. I mean, honestly, if you want to think about it from this perspective, if you want to look at it through this prism, the Old Testament is a story of bad leadership. The people of God were not what they could have been for God. Much of that was because of bad political, national, and, yes, spiritual leadership. And we see it play out again in the New Testament as well. Listen to some verses though. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 17. This is in the New Living Translation. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader, and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. Happy is the nation who has intentional leadership, not indulgent leadership. Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 12, it is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts for a throne is established on righteousness. Now this is a tough one because I think pretty much all of us would admit that we have big questions about the character of the main candidates that we have before us. And we wish there could be a country where it would just be obvious, there's the one, right? There's the one that we know is a godly person. Well, we might have to think like Christians would have had to think in the first century. If they had had the right to vote, they probably would have said, I don't like any of the choices, so I'll try my best to pick the least bad choice. The last thing, especially with what we just talked about, is number five, this is important. Leave room for good people to make different decisions. This is something that I've seen about the election that kind of troubles me. And I feel like God would want to speak to us about. Because of the disturbing nature of much of this election, I've heard a few different approaches. first approach is, I'm I'm just not going to vote. Well, again, I suppose you have that right. And I suppose that could be an option. But just remember, people died for you to have that opportunity. The second one is, I don't like the choices, so I will vote for the least bad option. I think this is where we sometimes are left. We have to vote for who we feel is the least bad so that maybe the one that we feel is really bad or worse will not get in. But then you have some who say, number three, I'm going to find an alternative candidate to vote for. Basically, some Christians are saying, i got to be honest with you, I can't fathom putting my name down for either of the two main candidates. Before God, I do not feel comfortable saying, even if it's just a check, even if it's just a least bad option, trying to do the best we can, there are some Christians who just by conviction are saying, I cannot, before God, support either one of those candidates. So I'm going to find another option. I'm going to write in, or third candidate, third party. I could see both of those last two as choices that Christians could make. I've heard many express that. But here's the point. In situations where we're seeking to do the right thing, but it may not be totally clear, God's Word tells us to be kind and gracious towards one another. Listen to these verses. Romans chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Now, this is exactly in this context. It's a, different, it's a different specific context, but the idea is there are situations that aren't always totally clear. And we have to make decisions about our convictions before God. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. This is the point. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 10. But why you, do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And in verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now that's important actually what I just read. The last part tells us whatever you believe, make sure God is leading you to do that, right? Because you and I are going to give an account individually before God for our choice. But ultimately, good people need to be able to say, you know what? Sometimes it's difficult to know exactly what to do. So we're going to leave room for you're going to pray, I'm going to pray, and we're going to do the best. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be conversation, right? That doesn't mean there can't be discussion. But ultimately, we need to leave room for good people to make different decisions. Last thing is this, and so important. We need to remember the bigger picture. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't want to give the impression that really the election just doesn't matter. It's not what is being said. We should pray, we should consider, we should get involved. But in a few weeks, we're going to have the next president of the United States starting in 2017. And most people have expressed their frustration, their concern. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people, no matter what happens, that are not going to be very happy, right? So what do we do? Write this down. First of all, God will still be on the throne. Did you know there's a God in heaven? Did you know that? There is a God in the heavens and many of us have given our lives to Him. The good news is God will not be surprised by the election and He will not be supplanted by the election. He won't be going, oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Or, or, oh, since that happened, that's kind of threatening me and my work. Listen to what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. So that everyone may know that the Most High... Boom. The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone He chooses. And Don't misinterpret that quickly. I'll just say that it doesn't mean it's God's fault whoever shows up. But ultimately, it didn't get by him. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Is God scared? Is God nervous? Does God need this certain president of the United States? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Not much. Not much. And are regarded as a speck of dust on the scale. You almost went, you know what? That, that, that little speck of dust is not even going to affect the weight. I'm not even going to dust it. Right? That's how much our big bad nation affects God's scales. It's not even going to affect it. I'm not even going to dust it. Max Lucado wrote an article this week I'm going to read to you. Or I read it this week. Listen to this. I want to read it to you. It says, we're really ready for this presidential election to be over. We're ready for an end to the rancor and tackiness. Voters on both sides feel frustrated, even embarrassed by it all. There's a visceral fear and angst among, amongst about the results. What if so-and-so wins? When we wake up on November the 9th, post-election, when the confetti is swept away and the election is finally over, what will we see? Max Ocato says, I have a prediction. I know exactly what November 9th will bring. Another day of God's perfect sovereignty. He will still be in charge. His throne will still be occupied. He will still manage the affairs of the world. Never before has his providence depended on a king, president, or ruler, and it won't on November 9, 2016. The Lord, Proverbs 21, 1 says, can control a king's mind or heart as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. The Lord can. On one occasion, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria. The Assyrians were ruthless people. On one occasion, the the, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria so that he aided them in the construction of the temple. On another occasion, he stirred the heart of Cyrus of Persia to release the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, was considered to be the mightiest king of his generation. But God humbled him and put him in detention for seven years. Put him out for seven years, out of service. The kingdom, Psalm 22, verse 28, the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Understanding God's sovereignty over the nations opens the door to peace. When we realize that God influences the heart of all rulers, we can then choose to pray for them rather than fret about them. Rather than wring our hands, we bend our knees. We select prayer over despair. Jeremiah did this. He was the prophet to Israel during one of her darkest periods of rebellion. He was called the weeping prophet because he was one. He wept at the condition of his people and the depravity of their faith. He was so distraught that one of his books was entitled Lamentations. But There's a great verse in Lamentations. He considered the work of God. Note the intentionality of his words. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 21-23. I imitate Jeremiah. He says, lift up your eyes. Dare to believe that good things will happen. Dare to believe that God was speaking to us when He said in Romans eight twenty eight, in everything, God works for the good of those who love Him. And are called according to His purpose. It doesn't mean the election doesn't matter, right? But it does mean that God will still be on the throne no matter who it is. Secondly, our main mission is to share Christ. The bigger picture. God will still be on the throne. Our main mission, and some of us need to, some of us need to deal with this, our main mission is not to have the version of America we dreamed for. Now, I'm not saying... If, you, if we can't make a difference and make it better, then make it better for our kids. Amen? I would love for our children and grandchildren to be able to experience some wonderful things. But our main mission is not to protect some image that we have of the good old days that, by the way, sometimes aren't, aren't, weren't, weren't as great as we thought they were. But I understand, I get it, but that's not our main mission. Our main mission is to share the good news about Jesus. Tell, we're going to talk more about that. Number three, prayer is our biggest tool. Like I said, pray now and then pray then, pray afterwards. Whoever's elected, the Bible says we should pray for them. First Timothy 2 verse 1 says when you're in church, this is what you should do. First of all, I urge that prayers be made on behalf of all men, especially kings and those who are in authority. By the way, it says so that you can lead a quiet and peaceable life. So one of the ways we can be salt and slow the decay is do nothing but pray first. That is a big way to slow the decay of our society. And then pray that God will work on their hearts. Is it possible that God could change a Hillary Clinton or a Donald Trump? If the answer is no, then that means that we've said there is something God can't do. But Proverbs twenty one verse one says, The heart of a king is like in the Lord's hand is just like channels of water. He directs it, whatever. And wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if our leaders would give their lives to the Lord fully surrendered in service to him and to others? You know, some of all this sometimes all this can be very frustrating. Because those people seem so big, powerful, and we seem to be at their mercy, right? It seems like there's nothing we can do. But but we need to realize those people are small in comparison with God. Maybe Hillary Clinton has been a part of the political process for 30 years. God's not impressed. Maybe Donald Trump has billions of dollars. God says that one day all of Donald Trump's money will be absolutely worthless. God's not impressed. I'm so glad we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if we do, we respect the authority we've been given. And many of us need to think about that. But ultimately, our lives are in His hands. I want us just to pause for a moment and bow our heads before Him. I'm sorry if I upset your stomach tonight. I'm sorry. I don't want to preach this message. I don't want you to have to think about politics and government. but you know what? I believe the Lord wanted us to hear it. So the question is, God, what would you have me to do? Maybe repent. My attitude, my approach, my focus. maybe like Nehemiah, to be broken from my people. and pray and see God and ask God how I can be part of the solution, not the problems. Maybe you're a little bit scared, maybe you're a little bit nervous say, Lord, I'm sorry and I've been putting my trust, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Not in a person, not in a party. Maybe just collectively as a group, we would say, God, have mercy on us. Please help our nation. Honestly, friends, you've heard me share this before. I believe we are on the edge. I'm not just saying this because I wouldn't say it just to say it. I believe with all my heart that we are on the edge of a major revival. At least the potential for it. Really, what what is what are God's people going to do? Are we going to seek Him? Are we going to be broken before Him? Please, Lord, we don't even know what to do. We cry out to you. Save us. Save our people. Save this country. Help us, Lord, to continue to have the opportunity to share you with freedom. As believers all across the room are praying that if you're here today and you're part of our country, you're part of our people, maybe you're not. Maybe you're from another country you recognize that you need the Lord would you call out to him and say Jesus we need you but Lord I need you I need you to come into my life and to forgive me and to help me to change I need you to be my savior Lord I need you to guide my life Father thank you for speaking to us we love you for being our great shepherd Help us to navigate through these coming days and even the days to follow. God, may we stand back and see the God of all the nations most certainly is still on the throne. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name.